0: Welcome to Flora and Friends, your botanical cup of tea, a podcast for plant lovers of any kind. We welcome guests to our botanical tea break to explore the history, science, and meaning of plants for our lives. My name is Judith Lundbey Felten. I'm a plant scientist, university researcher, and founder of Flora L Design, and I'm the hostess of your botanical cup of tea. Welcome to this second episode of the Flora and Friends podcast mini-series on Pelargonium plants. Today, I'm going to take you on a little journey to South Africa, where we are going to visit Professor Knox Macunga's lab. And Knox is going to talk about the use of pelargoniums as a source of phytopharmaceuticals, so pharmaceuticals from plants. And she's going to highlight a few aspects of how they are growing and working with them in the lab, but also how this lab knowledge has been helping to inspire cultivation practices that can be helping for conserving the natural occurring pelargoniums outside of the lab So Knox is a a professor and a plant molecular biologist working at Stellenbosch University and she has worked herself with Pelagonium species, um, And I'm very happy to uh, have had an interview with her. It was very pleasant and captivating to get insights into the work and also to see how important this scientific work is for industrial purposes and for nature conservation. So with this, I lead over into the interview and I say, welcome to Nox Makunga."
1: Thank you. It's lovely to be here.
0: So can you tell us a little bit about pelargoniums in South Africa and their medical use?
1: Pelargoniums are very much uh, integral to South African life. We have a large biodiversity of uh, pelargoniums, and there are some medicinal pelargoniums that have even found themselves into the commercialized space. But they've been utilized by people for Centuries for a variety of different ailments and especially for respiratory infections and other, you know, treatments. Um, and they're quite a wide range of treatments. It ranges from dysentery to diarrhea to all kinds of um, ailments. So they are quite explored locally for their chemical diversity, and have been part of South Africans and their health for centuries. Mm-hmm. Do you know
0: something how people have discovered like that they had a, a
1: medical benefit that one could use them for? I think it's quite hard to trace how people find out about medicinal plants, especially if you go back in time. But with regards to Pelargonium sidoides, which is probably one of South Africa's most important phytopharmaceutics, it is said that there was an interaction with a Basutu healer and a European settler, and then this then uh, resulted in a transfer of knowledge with regards to the Pelargoniums. And ultimately that led to um, the Pelargonium Pseudoides actually being taken to Europe and it was made into a consumption cure. And that was probably in the 1800s. And that was the first time that South African medicinal Pelargoniums found a commercial interest.
0: hmm out of the, there's about 280 species of pelargoniums, if I'm right. Is uh, pelargonium sidoides the, the one that is most explored, or are there other pelargoniums that are used for medical purpose?
1: There are other pelargoniums that are used for medicinal purposes. So the sister species, pelargonium reniforme, looks very much like pelargonium sidoides. And so both of those species are actually exploited for medical purposes. But you also have pelargonium graviolens that is actually exploited in the aromatherapy industry for its essential oil. And when um, people refer to rose geranium oil, that's the species that they're actually referring to. So um, pelargoniums are exploited for the fact that they make these aromatic essential oils, but they have also these tubers that will have a concentration of medicinally important uh, compounds. So, um, And those three that I've mentioned are not the only ones that are exploited, but they are definitely you know, the, the three that have been uh, commercially exploited. In terms of traditional medicines, a wider range of pelargoniums are actually exploited. And these are generally harvested from the wild and local um, herbalists and traditional healers and naturopathic um, doctors will actually utilize that biodiversity. And and, and it's quite a a wide spectrum of different types of pelargoniums that are actually exploited in the traditional medicines markets.
0: Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And as you say, for some of them, it's more the essential oils. For others, it's more the phenolic compounds. Is there a relation between those compounds and from which tissue they are extracted for the um Psydoidus, you said it's the tubers or the rhizomes mm-hmm. and for other compounds are these other pla- parts of the plant
1: so for the essential oils it's generally the leaf material that would then be placed in a hydro distillation system to release that essential oil and the floral parts, as far as I'm concerned, are not necessarily exploited for medicinal purposes, but they you know they are edible so they're, they're actually quite fun to um, place in, in food um, and for decoration. So that's, a, that's an interesting use, I would say. So um, it's mainly the leaves and then the underground parts. That are exploited for health purposes.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you say, there's a lot of um, lot of people that take this from the wild. Has this become has this become an issue for pelagoniums in the natural context in South Africa?
1: It is a little bit of an issue um, because there are certain regions where pelargonium pseudoides is actually found, um, where Populations have been decimated by over-exploitation. And as a result, there are now farming practices that are also being used to bolster the biomass of material that actually goes into the formalized um, botanical medicines trade. We are quite aware that if we don't look after the plants in the wild, that we will lose the biodiversity. And so there are many efforts related to conservation and utilizing cultivation as a practice to try and provide alternative sources of having access to these metabolites that are of medicinal value. It has been a problem, but... um, it's a problem that we are well aware of, and I think the industries that have commodified pelargonium species are trying by all means to become a bit more sustainable in their practice.
0: Mm-hmm. So that li- makes us a little bit move into your research as well, because um, I mean seeds from uh, the pelargonium sidoides. They don't germinate so well, if I know right. Mm -hmm. And um, so if you wanted to move them into a cultivation, what kind of possibilities are there? I know you have worked with some possibilities yourself. So if you can give us a little insight into that.
1: There are ways in which to um, induce germinations with pelargoniums and I think one of my favorite ways, actually, and and this induces germination in a variety of different plants, is to apply smoke. Um, mm-hmm. Because the smoke contains a group of compounds that are called butenolides, And a set of Australian researchers actually named these after they characterized them and referred to them as kerakins. And those kerakins are able to um, induce germination in a wide range of species, including the pelargoniums. So I think um, that is a it's a wonderful way to encourage uh, germination. Mm-hmm. You can get smoke, um, water as well, and even um, filter papers that can be purchased that have. Uh, actually being dipped in that smoke that still contain those compounds. And then you place the seeds, add a bit of water to that dry filter paper with the smoke. And then that will actually encourage germination.
0: Okay. That's very interesting. I had never heard about that. Uh, You could encourage germination with smoke. So if you have a barbecue at home, can you use that? You don't want to roast the seeds, I
1: guess. Yes, absolutely. No, you don't want to roast the seeds. But um, it does work very well if you have a barbecue. And it's pretty much any organic matter that comes from plants that actually releasing, uh, that will release these compounds the smoke-inducing compounds. And so a barbecue is just perfect. You can just have those seeds whilst you are setting up your barbecue and then they will um, absorb that smoke and then that that will induce germination. And the reason for this is because a lot of the plants that are actually found in the Cape um, have evolved in fire-prone environments. And so... The fire and the smoke are actually critical for their life history. Mm. And many plants um, from this area here in the Cape Floristic region only germinate once they've actually received a smoke cue.
0: That's very interesting, because uh, I think that that wildfires are part of uh, ecology is not so much no we're not so much aware of this because we often think about fires as well and the fire takes over and then everything burns down, so obviously that is, has been a problem, but that fires are part of the landscape and form the landscape
1: is a very important part yes, uh, and that is what people. Um, sometimes exploit when you have recalcitrant seeds that are very difficult to germinate then you can actually use that as a system to induce germination mm. so when
0: you want to work with uh, pelagonium cedoitis and let's say you can work with seeds you can also can you work with cuttings like make clones from them
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the commercial uh, farming that is uh, associated with Pelagonium Pseudoides, they use a vegetative um, system where they actually replant the cuttings that they would have um, generated from their previous crop. And the tubers can also be broken and replanted, and then they will also induce a new set of plant growth so all of those tissue types are quite amenable actually to regeneration and the production of new plantlets Mm -hmm.
0: which means that that is a it's a good way of being able to to farm this and not to have to collect them from the wild and to destroy Mm -hmm. their ecosystem and you have been working with a project as well where you have um Produced something that is called hairy root systems. Can you tell okay. us a bit more about that?
1: So, these hairy root systems are very interesting because it is stemming from a natural genetic engineering um, system where agrobacterium, which is a soil bacterium, and particularly the species uh, rhizo genes, it transfers a segment of its own DNA into the plant genome. And once that's taken place, the genes that are actually sitting that came from the bacterium are then expressed by the plant and that induces a set of plant hormones and particularly auxins. These auxins often are linked to the production of roots in plants and so the plant then manufactures this mass amounts or masses of roots. And those roots are an incredible biochemical factory that is able to generate a, an increased output of metabolites. And so we exploited that hairy root system as a means to um, source the key compounds, the phenolic acids, the coumarins that are produced by pelargonium through utilizing that uh, gene transfer system. And um, we are able to set these up in a, in a tissue culture system where they regenerate through different cycles of time and all they need is a, a medium um, that doesn't actually have any hormones because they're pre- manufacturing their own hormones and they actually have a very fast growth rate. So it's a wonderful system to be able to exploit for industrial manufacture of the com- metabolites that actually come from pelagonium. And that is one of the reasons that we thought that that might be an interesting way to produce those metabolites. And lastly, it allows us in our laboratory environments to be able to actually study specialized metabolism because those pathways that lead to the production of these metabolites are not necessarily very well understood.
0: Mm-hmm. So you have been able to, to set up a little um, biofactory with this, with this system. Yeah. Yes, Has- indeed. Since you uh, since you did this this study, has there been any like commercial uh, utilization of the system?
1: So the system hasn't necessarily been commercially exploited, and I suppose one of the reasons for this is because um, it is a genetic modif- modification technology, and so there's. Um, you know, issues that are linked to regulation of using GM-related products for uh, medicinal purposes. But it provides us with an excellent scientific tool that allows us to be able to study metabolism, which then provides us with more fundamental information about how we can actually exploit these different um, biosynthetic pathways. I say this, um, that it hasn't be, been exploited on a commercial basis, but we also developed another system in our laboratories. And this was a non-GM system where we actually utilize a tissue culture production of um, Pelagonium cedroides. And that particular system is exploitable for um, the commercial industries, and we are at the stage actually of negotiating um, with some of the manufacturers here in South Africa for them to utilize a plant tissue culture based system as part of their agricultural setup. So that particular system that's linked to the tissue culture is actually more easily exploitable, um, and it directly links to the production of plant-based pharmaceutics.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you explain how you use that tissue culture system? How if you use the tubers there, or if you use cuttings, and how? can you, can you favor the development of the root system and the tubers in that system? Because I think you are more interested in, in stimulating the below ground tissue as compared to the above ground for this commercial purpose.
1: So um, we, we devised a protocol or a, or a, a, a regime to be able to do tissue culture and, it's quite interesting that you can set up all kinds of different cultures. You can set up root cultures, you can set up plantlets, you can even set up a set of cultures that are just a disorganized mass of material that's known as callus. And these different production systems um, actually all have the capacity to produce the metabolites that are monitored by industry. So that was a very interesting finding. And what was even more interesting was that when we looked at the extracts of these different um, Pelagonium plant-lit cultures or even Callus cultures, they were sometimes more active um, in the bioassays that we tested than the plants that would have been growing in the greenhouse. So there was something in that microenvironment that was actually switching on metabolism and favoring the production of some of the key biomarker compounds that are medicinal value. So that was a lovely uh, project that we um, worked on and we compared then the plants that had been growing inside the tissue culture bottles to those that had been growing in the greenhouse. And when we moved them as well into the greenhouse we did some metabolite analysis to understand the chemistry. And it was wonderful to see that sometimes the propagated plants that came from tissue culture were actually more biologically active.
0: Okay. And they kept the activity even after being planted out into the
1: greenhouse. Yes. And they kept that activity and they formed the tubers much faster than, than, if you had started it from a cutting, so that tissue culture system actually shortens the lifespan of the plant, and it allows for the plant to become more biochemically mature, if that's you know one one way to actually put that, because the tubers were quite young, but their chemistry was um, quite sophisticated. And as sophisticated actually as plants that would have been growing for three years or five years. And these were tubers that were about six months old already.
0: Oh wow. So that is really accelerating, accelerating what happens in the plant just by cultivating them basically on their very own. Because in this uh, tissue culture systems, as compared to the wild, you will have only that plant and it's a sterile system, so no. No other organisms included, no microorganisms, and nothing.
1: Yeah, so it's, I think it's the microclimate that seems to be able to control this. And one can change the conditions to shift metabolism towards high production of umkalin, for example, which is one of these key compounds that is thought to have. Um, important biological activity.
0: Mm. Do we know anything about umkalin and its function inside the plant? We extract it to be to use it for for medical purposes, but what is it doing in the plant?
1: I don't think we have any idea, but I would presume that because it, you know, these compounds have antimicrobial activity. And They are probably also involved in being part of the biological warfare of the plant, assisting the plant from being able to resist pathogens. And so we don't necessarily know their function, but we can draw a few hypotheses with regards to how they might actually be functioning in plants. And just because they belong to these sort of phenolic compounds, which are actually found ubiquitously in plants and are known to have microbial effects, antimicrobial effects in plants in general. So that is the assumption that they might be part of the microbial uh, fighting system or I suppose even plant immunity, (laughs) that allows the plant to be able to cope with all kinds of environmental stresses, whether they be biological or even abiotic. Mm -hmm.
0: And that is uh, especially fascinating then when you think that when you have the plant in tissue culture, it matures earlier, but it produces also more of these molecules, even though it wouldn't be stressed by other organisms. There there are no microbes included. Do you have any hypothesis why this would be? I I would just intuitively expect where the plant has to defend itself less. So maybe it produces less of the molecules,
1: but you find the opposite. Yeah, um, we don't necessarily know why. We think that there might, it might be a control at the environmental level, so you know if the phytohormones that have changed might be eliciting a new kind of gene expression or upregulating that kind of metabolism and even though these plants are in a in a controlled system somehow they still have a connection to inherently have a connection to their life outside of the bottle. It's so strange. Plants can be so fascinating. You can keep them, you know, giving them a summer day every day, giving them everything that they need. But it seems like their genetic constitution can somehow have memory. I'm putting that in in inverted commas. And, um, And perhaps that is one way also of trying to get ready for a microbial attack. You know, they might be thinking, I, there are no micro- microorganisms associated with me now, but m- let me make enough of these metabolites in case I'm actually attacked by pathogens, then I'll already be ready. Mm. <laughs> um, it's, it's almost as if they get prepared. Um, For war, I suppose
0: (laughs) they are proactively careful (laughs) to survive. That was a very interesting, um, interesting view into the pelargoniums uh, and how you work with them. I mean, domestication of pelargonium sidoides. How how long have
1: people really worked with that? I'm not really sure in terms of at large commercial scales, but I would presume that 2006, 2007, there were a lot of um, scientific papers trying to come up with systems of actually how to grow these Pelagonium sidoides on a, on a much larger scale. And since then, there's been a fair amount of foundational information that's actually been built by the scientific community, which has then been exploited in agriculture. And that information, is. there's still parts of that information that's still lacking. We haven't sorted out practices that actually need into this kind of cultivation. But there are farmers within the Western Cape the Eastern Cape here in South Africa and I think even in Lesotho where commercial cultivation of pelargonium is increasing and that is increasing to actually meet the commercial demand for the extracts that are made from the tubers of pelargonium. So at this particular stage I can't give you numbers in terms of tonnage of cultivated material but it is definitely a growing industry and different producers might be growing particular chemo elite lines and there's a lot of information actually that also lies with individual farmers as they themselves actually test out practices that are most effective for their particular soil types Climatic and geolocations. So it, it is a growing industry, and there is much interest. And it is a very important species in South Africa in terms of commercialized South African medicinal plants. Mm-hmm.
0: Is it, um, now this is the Pelargonium sidoides. do you also have such kind of research or programs or cultivations ongoing for other Pelargonium species?
1: Graviolans, most definitely, because that one has this very important commercialized essential oil. There's a lot of cultivation of that particular species that takes place in more the northern parts of South Africa that are a little bit more semi-tropical, I suppose. Um, And there's a lot of farming of that particular product. And it's even been grown outside of South Africa and in places like Madagascar and other parts of the world because it's such an important essential oil. It's used a lot in perfumery, And it has those um, rosy floral notes, and so that essential oil is uh, very important um, for the cosmetics industry. Actually, Mm -hmm. so it's been cultivated in large masses. Mm -hmm. So these these two
0: pelargoniums are the most commonly commercially cultivated species.
1: Yes, yeah, for medical apart from all the. Oh, excuse me. Apart from all the pretty (laughs) pelargoniums. Yes. (laughs) They have literally found themselves all over the world in all kinds of hybrids and cultivars. They are, those two are the two that are mainly um, utilized for medicinal purposes, but there's tons of pelargoniums that are found all over the world, which make spaces really pretty. Hmm. And anytime I travel outside of South Africa and I see these pelargoniums, especially in windowsills of you know apartments, then I get a little bit nostalgic, and it reminds me of home. And it just makes me think of how incredible the biodiversity of this country is, and that it is found different homes all over the world.
0: Hmm. It has spread its, its roots <laughs> throughout yeah. the world from when it got exported first. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Is there anything else that you would like to share? If somebody wanted to know more about the pelagoniums or about your research, maybe you, we can hear where we can find you or more information.
1: I, I feel I'm really, really easy to find. I'm easy to find on the internet and um, I enjoy tweeting. I like to be on Instagram and often I'll share information about South African plants and sometimes um, my escapades to go and find interesting plants in the wild. And so my Twitter handle is at Knox the lion. And I'm also Instagram at nox underscore makunga i'm easily to find as well via email and i can be emailed using makunga at sun as in sunshine dot ac dot
0: thank you very much i think uh through instagram i have also known you that is also where I got in touch with you. And then uh, we noticed that uh, one of your students had been coming to Umeå and has done uh, his project with me. So that was when the world is smaller than one thing. Yeah, the world is pretty small. <laughs> yeah. It's not just the Pentagoniums that move <laughs> from South Africa to Sweden and all around. It's also the students. <laughs> Yeah, thank you very much uh, for thank this so
1: interview. It's it really a pleasure having you. Thanks so much to you. It's been wonderful to be here this afternoon and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. I hope that you have enjoyed this very insightful
0: episode and while we have still some more episodes on pelagonium coming up on our podcast i would love to hear from you what kind of plants you would be interested in to hear about in the future so maybe you have a favorite plant or you know a person that is an expert and would be really great to have as a guest on the podcast well visit us at www.flora-l.com and find the contact form on our website to reach out to me and to let me know any kind of wishes for future episodes on this podcast. And with this, I wish you a pleasant day and I hope to see you back here next Wednesday for our third Pelagonium episode.